Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. Yes, the rules have changed. Good day wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, for Friday, November 30th, 2012. This week, episode 265 comes to you from Studio D in Central City, PA. My name is Radio Joe Hughes. Joining me in the studio at the controls is our engineer, Roxy V. Val Bender. Hi, everyone. And joining us back from Studio C is the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. Hey, everybody. Uh, good Friday to you. And good day, Cliff, at the control. Of course, uh, joining us later during our roundup will be our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Weil. Today's segments include the IAQ Radio trivia question. We're going to have a Hurricane or Superstorm Sandy update with Bernard Fontaine of the Windsor Consulting Group in South River, New Jersey. We'll have a halftime. I believe Mr. Fellman's going to join us for halftime. I don't see him on the line yet, but uh, we're going to have a What's News update, if I'm not mistaken. Then we'll go back to our interview, and we will finish, of course, with our roundup. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com John Don Products where restoration and abatement contractors shop visit them at www.johndon.com Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine your source for cleaning and maintenance news visit them at clean c-l-e-a-n-f-a-x.com and cmmonline.com Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Okay, to listen to the show, just go to the iaqradio.com website and you can hit the Go to Show button to join us live or, of course, you can download shows later from that same area. You can also stream shows direct from our home page. And, of course, you can get our shows from iTunes. Uh, don't forget, we also have renewal credits for those of you needing renewal credits for ABIH, IICRC, or the ACAC. Just send me a note at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. We'll send you out a quiz. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com let's turn it over to the z-man for today's trivia question thank you joe
win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IAQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is very easy. Email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live via your computer, you can text in your answer. Congratulations. To Andy Krasowski, Concast Metal Products, Mars PA, for yet another win. He was the first person to identify the Library of Congress as our nation's oldest federal cultural institution. The IEQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, November 30th, 2012, has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Check out their new electronic membership category at their website, www.trsca.org. Now for today's trivia question. The question is related to dust. Name the predominantly silt-sized sediment which is formed by the accumulation of wind-blown dust. The word is of German origin, meaning loose. Back to you, Joe. All right. Today's guest is Bernard Fontaine, Jr. He's a certified industrial hygienist and certified safety professional and currently the managing partner of the Windsor Consulting Group. And they are located in the uh, New Jersey area there, just below New York City. He has over 35 years of professional and business experience in regulatory compliance, insurance, national defense, environmental services, and consulting. And he has been also helping with indoor air quality issues and disaster restoration issues after the recent storms in the Northeast. He has a uh, Bachelor of Science from Northeastern University. His master's degree is from the University of Oklahoma, and he's currently working on a PhD and uh, at the University of Toronto. I'm curious about that. We'll have to ask uh, Mr. Fontaine about that. Let's, uh, we have some music, no music today. Oh, we had a little mix up on the music. Let's see if we've got Bernie on the line. Hello, Bernie. I'm here. All right, great to have you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Hey, I'm curious, you know, you're in, you, we talked earlier, you're about, what, 30 miles south of New York City, so real close to the center of the storm. How did you and your staff fare at after the storm? Actually, we were quite lucky. Um, you know, obviously we had power outages, we had loss of internet connection and electricity, but, um, you know, for the trees that fell down and the, and the storm water that came in, the, it was minor in comparison to what actually happened along the Jersey Shore, New York, and Connecticut borders as well. How is the um, recovery coming? Were you, so you didn't have any actual physical damage to your home? I mean, was there any flooding in your area? Uh, Well, in South River, we actually have a river. So we had a tidal flood that actually wiped out some businesses and some homes, about 30 homes. But in comparison to the devastation that we saw along the coast, and actually had uh, boots on the ground, uh, it was nothing comparison. I see. And, and how, how is the recovery coming along? Do you get out? How far away from your office do you travel to look at these kind of projects? Well, we have some projects ongoing right now in Manhattan, Brighton Beach, which is in Brooklyn, New Jersey, uh, New York. And um, it's, it's the devastation is just unbelievable. To see these homes... Um, 
just flooded the way they have been. It's just miraculous. I mean, these are raised structures, and the water just came up and over um, the first level and then sunk down into the basement. And then all the debris that was being pulled out was just absolutely incredible. It looked like a war zone. You know, I've seen Brighton Beach on the news. It looks like that, that was one of the hardest hit areas. Is that more residential or is it a combination of residential and commercial structures? Like a lot of New York, you have a combination of bodegas uh, incorporated with residential structures. Um, some are apartment buildings, some are uh, single-standing stand, homes. But uh, for the most part, everything that the water came up and over uh, just basically flooded everything out, and they were pulling out all kinds of debris and just piling it on the, uh, the edge of the sidewalks uh, in huge piles. And I saw the sanitation trucks you know, trying to remove the material, but it was just, it would block the streets trying to, you know, take all the material that they could. It was just amazing. It's it's so different to see it in person versus to see it on the news or hear it on the radio. Sounds like it was overwhelming. Did the sanitation workers, were, were they issued any kind of personal protective equipment or did they use any kind of engineering controls to try and limit their exposure? Uh, they were uh, using dust masks, uh, face dust masks, and they were also using abrasive uh, gloves because of all the debris with the nails and everything else, uh, the framework that was coming out, <coughs> um, they had abrasive issues. Has They also had uh, eye protection, and obviously they had their normal work gear for um, protection against hypothermia. You know, I'm curious. I just this just came to me. I'm wondering. You know, every time I think about this issue, this storm, and and the the related cleanup, something else strikes me as, wow. I wonder how they handled that. And, and you talk about these sanitation workers. I'm sure they had 50 times the normal amount of debris and and garbage to pick up. Did they hire more people? Did they bring in contractors to assist with that? Or did these guys just go? you know, a lot, 24 hours a day almost, to help get this cleaned up? Well, that's an interesting question. It depends upon where you're talking about. Um, New York sanitation workers did the best they could, uh, but there were certain areas where they had to bring in uh, construction contractors to actually move sand using front-end loaders. There was just so much material that they need to be you know, taken off the streets to open up the roadways. And what about the, the demolished homes? I would imagine those are being handled by contractors. That's one of the tragedies in this whole situation is that these contractors um, were being dialed in to provide immediate support. Everybody was looking for somebody to give them some support to take care of their particular concern. Uh, there's only so many contractors that go around, and they were taking building contractors, anyone who had a license, to operate in the state or the city, they were using those people as a resource to try to remove the wet and saturated debris, pump out the water, whatever it took to try to restore their homes. And how, I'm curious, do you think, I'm, I'm assuming, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, they didn't have the correct or, or very good personal protective equipment or standard operating procedures for this kind of event? No, that's one of the things I... Uh, try to, you know, inform the people we're working for is that, you know, they have to have the proper protective equipment for their workers. They have to have the proper training. <clears throat> so 
some of these people were just, you know, basically carrying out debris out the front door and into dumpsters that were right in the street and just loading it up. And you could see the microbial growth that was already there from the, uh, the moisture. And my question for some of the older homes is, you know, what are the other exposures that are ongoing? You have sheetrock, you know, it may have some silica dust and some mica in it. You may have some lattice work that has silica in it. We uh, pointed out to a couple areas, you know, not to throw away the thermostats because some of these thermostats have little uh, mercury glass vials in them to monitor temperature, and they have to be taken out and disposed of separately. They really didn't have enough equipment to operate. Um, people were running out to Lowe's and, and Home Depot trying to get dehumidifiers. They didn't have some of the commercial air dryers and dehumidifiers that some of the commercial companies have. So they were running around trying to do whatever they could to try to support these residential structures. I can imagine, Bernie. I, I was in the Pittsburgh area, and I stopped at a Lowe's, and I was looking. I figured, well, maybe it's a good time to grab a generator here, you know. And the guy told me there wasn't a generator at a Lowe's until you got to Cincinnati. So I can imagine how difficult it was to get one in your area. Yeah, we had people actually driving all the way to Delaware just to get generators. They would buy them as many as they could and bring them back. Now, you love uh, you know commercialism, but some of these people were just buying them to just jack up the price to sell them. Some were actually using them and distributing them to people who need. So you had both sides of the fence on going. Cliff, I'm, I'm sorry, I kind of jumped in here. No, a I just bit. wondered whether there are any interesting projects in particular that you're working on now. Right now, with the insurance issues and the structural damage that occur, a lot of things are in hiatus right now. They're trying to figure things out. Uh, the main concern right now is trying to put the electrical back on, get the boilers up and running, check everything out of the systems to provide heat to some of the homes that you can put people back into. Um, that's right now the, the beginnings of trying to get people back into reoccupancy. And, you know, a lot of you know contractors have removed a lot of the wet materials already and just dumped it onto the, uh, the sidewalks for this pickup. So some of that work has already been done, but like uh, we were talking before, they didn't take the proper precautions. There were no containment, no control, no negative air pressure systems. So there's going to be a lot of ramifications eventually downstream, particularly, you know, we talked about a little bit about asbestos. That was my main concern with some of the older structures that we would see. They were just pulling things out, just to get it out of the house. You know, it's funny. I um, In our news, our announcement, our show announcement every week, I put, articles in there that are things that caught my attention over the past week. One of the things that caught my attention over the past week was EPA had, I don't know, some people would say finally, others would say they should never have done this, but had issued, I believe it was 12 citations recently, or 12 fines recently for violations of the lead renovation repair and painting rule. And I'm thinking to myself, how many thousands and thousands of homes have been, you know, how many thousands of contractors in that area have been violating that rule? And and probably in some ways, 
understandably so, if not rightfully so. I'm curious, any any thoughts about that issue, the lead-based paint issue? You've got a lot of older structures, a lot of pre-1978 housing, I would imagine, and buildings. Oh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, some of these oldest uh, structures that go date back to the early 1900s, they're beautiful homes that have been, you know, constructed. I, I saw some of the, uh, the you know, framing and the uh, lattice work that was put in. It was just amazing that all this had to be destroyed. They were pulling out mirrors, uh, wall mirrors, casings. You know, it's just amazing. But a lot of these things from older homes could be, you know, contaminated with lead, cadmium, a lot of different heavy metals. But the idea is that it was in such a frenzy to just rip everything out that was wet and get it out of the house as quick as possible. That was, I mean, it, it was just, uh, every street I kept looking up and down, everybody was doing exactly the same thing. And some of these contractors, you know, took more precautions because that's their business. But those who were like building contractors or trade contractors, they're not trained and they don't understand what they were doing. They were just performing the work. You know, it seems like uh, that's similar to in some ways, what happened after 9-11? I've got three things. I've got to almost make an... I've got to make myself a note here, Bernie, because I've got three things I want to ask you here all at once. Let's let's start with the first one. You were around for 9-11. I know you did some work after 9-11. Did you notice any similarities between the way things were handled then and the way things were handled now, at least with the cleanup in the immediate area surrounding 9-11? Absolutely. It's the same thing. We go into panic mode. We call people that we can just, you know, get on the phone and make a commitment to respond to your need. And we don't pre-qualify these people for their capability, their qualifications, or their experience. And we're only concerned about getting the job done. Now, Cliff, I just want to make sure you don't have a follow-up before I go on. Well, you know, I kind of do, and, and... you know, the follow-up probably dealt with that article that Sharon Kramer sent to us, Joe, uh, you know, that was written up in the Daily Mail about, you know, they had all these respiratory problems following 9-11, and now following uh, Superstorm Sandy, they have the Sandy cough, and, uh, you know, I, I read the article, and there, you know, there was a video, and, uh, you know, you could click on the video, and you see all this renovation work being done, and, and you know, or tear-out work being done, or, you know, uh, you know demolition and, and preparatory work, and, and, and there's not a dust mask in sight, you know, and I don't know, it, it just seems that uh, you know, there everyone's worried about mold, but you know, no one's talking about respiratory protection. It's, it's, I don't know. I just kind of find it mind-boggling. Well, not even dust mask, but no, you know, even a dust mask would be some help. But even something more than that, I would think a lot of these um, after nine eleven, at least some of the first responders and others would have the appropriate PPE. Is that accurate, Bernie? Are you aware that do they have the appropriate PPE at least for the first response? Yeah, the first responders uh, covered under FEMA and some of your local state county officials, they have the resources that they need, not for long term, but for short term response. You know, it's the contractors that just doesn't have the resources available to them. And with the uh, frenzy ongoing, everything was basically taken off the shelves. So, you know, we're looking for outside support. 
when we talked about 9-11, there was a lot of donations made from many of the product manufacturers. I saw truckloads of post protective equipment coming in and being just handed off the end of the truck. It's a little different with uh, the Sandy Storm because basically you had commercialism and you're trying to sell products now. It's a little bit different. It's also a much wider area, I would think. I mean, have you gotten out to other areas besides Brighton Beach, and how is the recovery coming in some of these other areas? I was down in Avon, New Jersey, about uh, two weeks ago, and uh, I had all the front loaders uh, moving sand off the roadways back to the beach uh, just to get it so they could be passable. Uh, it's just amazing the damage and the, how much uh, the hurricane actually caused. So there's all types of work ongoing right now. It's just not the homes. It's it's getting things passable. It's inspecting bridges and, and railways and, and making sure everything is run, running correctly. You've got uh, electrical contractors making renovations because all the seawater that came in destroyed a lot of electrical connections, and that has to be all ripped out. Same way with the, the other trades, you know, coming in and doing the same thing. You know, we're a month on now. I, I Two days ago, I want to say, I saw an article that Sandy hit one month ago. And, you know, within that month, you're, you're pointing out how much damage there was, how much work there is to get things back to normal, what the difficulties are with equipment, etc. And I, you know, I'm on a couple of these groups, and I know you are too, with LinkedIn and other groups, and I, I see some contractors from kind of outside of the area, maybe not necessarily in the area, they seem a little frustrated that there hasn't really been more uh, demand for their services and or their equipment and or services, and it sounds to me like we're just not at that point yet, Bernie. I mean, we're you know, the emergency response is happening. General's contractors are pulling out as much as they can, but there's going to be a lot more work for a long time. Can you give us an idea of what your estimate is for how long this work will continue and, and how much need there will be for people to dry buildings or to remove mold or to do asbestos abatement or lead or, or whatever the case may be? Well, I think it's it's a tiered approach. You have those uh, structures that are going to have to be completely demolished, if not uh, removed completely. Those are the first ones. Uh, you, you have to make sure that all the roadways and, and access points are uh, passable. I think that's really the first part of this. Um, then we have to worry about the infrastructure itself and make sure that is sound and safe. Um, we just had a report um, early this morning that one of the bridges in South Jersey collapsed after a a railroad tank car was crossing it, and now it's dangling over the trestle right now. And that is con uh, contains um, what they're reporting as being vinyl chloride monomer. And we've already reached out to county officials down there to provide them since we have railroad tank car experience as well as uh, being an industrial hygienist to try to support them in any way possible. So the damages, we don't even know how, how extent they are. We're going to need to assess these things. The structures that need to be demolitions, that needs to come down first. But we also have to make sure we have to provide heat and electricity to those houses still habitable. But, you know, the question is, what is habitable? Because people are living in, you know, festered situations because of the storm Sandy, because they have no place to go. Well, these people don't have insurance or they were retired 
and didn't have coverages because they didn't think they were in a flood zone. There's a lot of issues ongoing right now. This has been going on for many, many years. Hmm. Now, you mentioned insurance, and that's something. We're going to have a show specifically related to insurance and legal issues as the result of this uh, tragedy that, that, that occurred up in the New York City and, and northeastern area. But you mentioned earlier that, and, and I want to just emphasize this, that even people with insurance can't even, at least my understanding is, can't even get an adjuster to come out and look at their damages, and we're a month on. Yeah, again, they uh, do have disaster relief centers that they set up, but again, there's only so many personnel to uh, address some of these issues, and it, they are also trying to approach this in a tiered approach and do the best they can possibly be. It's, it's just a massive amount of damage. It's just overwhelming to actually see it when you have boots on the ground. Now, we're also, uh, we just were told that uh, Glenn Fellman and Patty Harmon are from the Restoration Industry Association. Glenn is with IAQA and RIA and Indoor Environment Connections. They're both going to join us at halftime, so that's that's great news. Before we go to halftime, you touched on another issue, Bernie, that I think it just set off another question for me. You're a former OSHA guy, I believe, or at least you were with Department of Labor many years ago, what, 25, 30 years ago? Yes, I was a compliance officer both in Region 1, which is New England, and in Region 6, which covers all of Texas, New Mexico, and Oklahoma. Are the, I assume the compliance people are out, but are they issuing citations? Are they kind of looking the other way? Are they trying to just educate people at this point? Any thoughts on how that's going? Uh, I believe, like they, they had uh, addressed 9-11, they were in a, a very helpful mode to try to provide consultation, support, and educate those who wanted to listen and learn that what they needed to do to protect the workforce and make sure that the public was also protected as well. So they're in a, in a uh, support role for a lot of the agencies, the governmental agencies, as well as the public. But I would imagine if they see something that is just wrong, you know, and that, that's going to, has the potential at least to cause serious injury or death, they're going to step up and um, make some kind of adjustment, whether it has to be through a, a violation or whether it's just information. Is that accurate? If, it, if it's a violation, they have to call it if you're in enforcement uh, mode. But if you're in a consulting mode, which OSHA does have consultants working for them, they're going to basically counsel those people to make the right decision. Okay, okay. That's it's just fascinating what's going on up there. Cliff, before I, I have one more before halftime, I wanted to make sure you got one in if you needed to. No, go ahead, Joe. Okay, there was another issue that came up. Uh, Cliff mentioned we had an article from Sharon Kramer. I saw another recently news article about a local congressman who was requesting some kind of... Uh, legislation or, or bill or, or, or some kind of response from the government to try and help with some of the issues we're talking about right now, the lack of PPE, the lack of training, education. Uh, I don't know if you saw anything on that or not, Bernie. Any any uh, background on that? No, I have not seen it. I basically followed some of the legislature's uh, comments about, you know, how we're actually responding and, and how we can improve, you know, this response effort. 
there's licensing just for in New York. You've got to be licensed to deal with asbestos-containing materials and if you're doing the actual remediation of lead paint. But other than that, are there any other licensing issues that people would have to deal with? I know there's no mold license, but uh, anything else they would have to... I mean, obviously electrical licenses, things of that nature, but with respect to environmental hazards. Uh, no, but what they're, they're finding out is a lot of some of these contractors in New York City need to have permits to operate. And they, had in fact, just arrested five uh, people from Maine that had come down to provide support and didn't have the right permits to uh, work as contractors. Okay, interesting. All right, Bernie, we're, we're going to take our uh, halftime break. We've got to thank our sponsors. Then we're going to bring Glenn Fellman and Patty Harmon on, kind of turn this into a little bit of an open mic session here for uh, part of the second half. And this has uh, been interesting so far, and we look forward to getting back with you in the second half. We've got Bernard Fontaine uh, from the uh, Superstorm Sandy Update Show here, and he's up in the New York City area, and look forward to the second half with him. Val? Thanks to our association sponsors, the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NADCA, is the leading authority for information on HVAC inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.com. The Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleancleanfax.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right, let's go to our What's News with Glenn Feldman. We got a little something for Glenn. Uh-huh. If they still use this one or not, Val. <laughs> All right, Glenn, do we have you on the line? 
I'm here. How are you guys? Great, thanks. How about good, Patty? Good. We have Patty. What? Patty is is with me. We're gonna. I'm gonna uh, actually hand the receiver over to her. I didn't want to put you on speakerphone because I was afraid it would mess up your uh, audio quality today. Uh, but uh, I just wanted to mention a couple quick things. Um, you know, there's a lot of work going on right now by the industries that uh, listen to IAQ Radio to support. Uh, the victims of Superstorm Sandy. Uh, just yesterday I was reading uh, a heartwarming letter from the New England ch- uh, uh, chapter of the Industrial uh, American Industrial Hygiene Association about truckloads of goods and, and, and uh, supplies that they had gathered and which they are now driving down uh, in that direction. Uh, the Indoor Air Quality Association has published a five-minute video that is geared specifically to homeowners uh, who right now don't have a professional at their disposal. Uh, th- th- those folks are working on bigger buildings uh, who want to try to get their home salvaged before they become a complete loss due to mold. Uh, you can check that out at the IAQA uh, uh, YouTube channel. Just search for IAQA on, on YouTube. It's also on our Trenton chapter uh, webpage for IAQA. And then I also want to mention uh, the Trenton chapter of IAQA, uh, Wei Tang, the director of the chapter, and several of our Trenton uh, members and, and members from surrounding areas who are not uh, uh, quite so severely affected. Uh, they were out this past weekend. They were handing out supplies, food, beverages, whatever they could do to help um, the victims. And it's just really heartening to see uh, so many people from so many different parts of the industry coming together, doing what they can to help people. Meanwhile, uh, this week, Patty Harmon, uh, who I have the great pleasure of working with, who I call uh, the number one editor and publisher in the industry. I'm number two, by the way. Uh, <laughs> the number one editor and publisher in the industry. Uh, she just spent three days uh, uh, on the ground in New York City and surrounding areas. Uh, she got to see things that uh, most people would never get a chance to see. She's got much more interesting things to say than I, and I'm going to turn the phone over to her and let her share with, with you uh, some of the things that she witnessed firsthand this week. So without any further ado, here's Patty Harmon. Well, thank you, Glenn, and thank you, Patty. Thanks for joining us. It's great to have you here. It's my pleasure. I'm sorry it's under these circumstances, but uh, what, yeah. what did you learn in the three days in the area up there? I learned how hard restoration companies work and how all of the all of the first responders it is it was amazing to me that four weeks after the hurricane had hit that there are still areas that have just been decimated where there's still not any electricity there they've pumped out a lot of the water they have cleaned a lot of the electrical um, and HVAC systems, and now they're rewiring everything. Um, but still, along a lot of the seaside towns, there are still curfews in place. You, I had to be out of some of these places by 5 o'clock because no one is allowed on the street after 5 p.m. until 7 a.m. the next morning, so basically sunrise to sunset, or I'm sorry, sunset to sunrise the next day. Um, it was... I toured one school that had been um, the emergency evacuation center for a particular community. They had already set up all the cots and everything. When the school was flooded, um, they had to take everything out, and then the restoration firm that came in um, cleaned the school and set everything up so that FEMA and the emergency uh, management workers would have a place to use as their headquarters, and then people could bring in supplies, food, water, clothing, that sort of thing. Um, 
and then I was able to visit a number of places in New York City um, on Wednesday. Um, one of them was the South Street Seaport, and there is a lot of work. There are a lot of different vendors, and there are uh, several different buildings that make up the seaport. So there was a lot of activity in that area, and just a lot of, um, they were still drying out. And there were even shops that had not been touched at all, where the water had been removed or had either receded on its own or it had been dried out. But the um, the shop owners have not decided what they're going to do with the content. So there's a lot of, um, there, there are just a lot of decisions that need to be made. I think some of the event, some of the store owners are just so overwhelmed, they're not quite sure what to do. Um, but it was really quite an experience. I toured... Um, uh, a large medical facility. I toured um, multi-tenant housing. Um, there are j- just a wide variety of projects all around. I was out in Brooklyn um, going through some, some homes there. So it was, it was just a very educational tour and, you know, an opportunity to see what's going on there firsthand. And Patty, I, obviously I have some friends that are in the in this business, and, and I'm curious mm-hmm. if you're... Um, your experience with this particular issue I'm going to mention is the same as, as my friends. They're finding mm-hmm. that they can go in and they can do work, but that people just don't know whether they will get coverage on their insurance or not. Right. Uh, wow, is that rough? Well, yeah, that, I mean, that's the case. And actually, I'll, I'll, most of the companies that I've spoken to, what they're really focusing on is working on the infrastructure. They have to get... The commercial buildings, they have to get the hospitals, the schools, the businesses, the grocery stores, the, you know, all, all, a lot of the businesses up and running before they even get to the point where they can address a lot of the individual homes or condominiums, apartments, that sort of thing. And I think that's probably the largest part of the frustration for the homeowners and why we're trying, you know, IAQA and other organizations are trying to get some information out there to say, you know, some of this you're going to have to do on your own. And as you know, the quicker they respond and make a decision and are able to to dry out and and kind of decide what they're going to do with the contents, the better off they're going to be. Now, one of the things that has been working in everyone's favor is the fact that it has not been, you know, 100 degrees with 98% humidity. So in some respects, they feel that that has helped to retard the mold growth in a lot of these buildings. But I stood in places where the water line was, you know, 12 feet. Mm. So it's been, it took them, you know, where they're pumping out millions and millions of gallons of water, and then once that's out, then they have to clean everything. And, you know, one company was bringing in teams from all across the country and from other offices internationally. So there are just there are literally thousands of people with feet on the ground trying to work as fast as they could. One of the things that I saw when I was in East Rockaway, FEMA is going door to door, knocking on people's homes and asking them, you know, what they need, what questions do they have, do they understand the process, do they have insurance? If they have insurance, have they contacted their insurance adjusters? And they're just trying to walk them through the entire process so that they have a better understanding of what what needs to be done and how long it could possibly take. Wow. Hey, let's let's bring uh, Bernie Fontaine back into this conversation. Patty, if you're going to stick around with us, that would be great. We can go sure. back to you as okay. well. Uh, Bernie, I'm curious. Uh, Patty mentioned the infrastructure, and, and one, I guess two things people don't commonly think about when we're talking infrastructure is 
one you mentioned earlier, the railways. And I know you do a lot of work in that area. How did that come along? Or how is, it's, is it's, that coming you know, along? Still people are trying to inspect and, and determine, you know, what's salvageable, what needs to be repaired. It is immense decision-making process. But we're still trying to continue with commerce and doing the best we can with what we have left. But, you know, it's it, every agency is being overtaxed with duties and tasks that are just unbelievable, and they're trying to do the best they can. So what, what, what happened to a railroad? Give me an idea. You know, I know we've got tracks, we've got stations, we've got this, we've got that. But what, what do I not think about when we're trying to respond after a flood with a railway system? Well, again, you, you, if you're going to impede interstate commerce, that's a major uh, consideration, and we need to make sure those bridges and highways and are are intact and not damaged. So it takes time to inspect that. Okay, so they've got to go out and inspect all the tracks, make sure they didn't get moved, make sure the signals are working properly. I would imagine. Uh, what about uh, Amtrak? Are they back up and running? I know I, my wife and I take Amtrak from Johnstown, PA, here to New York just about every year. Are they back up and running into uh, Grand Central? I guess it would be. I believe Amtrak is up and running, but they still have some of the subway systems that they're still working on, uh, trying to uh, get you know cleaned up and repair all the electrical and the signals, like you said. Let's get back to Cliff for a minute. Yeah, actually, I uh, had a uh, situation several years ago when I uh, did some response work down in Mexico, and I'm just wondering whether or not what I'm going to say holds true in this particular instance. But, you know, we've all heard that cultural term, he who hesitates is lost. And and it seems that you have a lot of people wondering, you know, what to do, and they spend all this time thinking about it. And, uh, you know, what happens is there's a limited amount of resources available. And if you don't do what's necessary in order to grab those resources, someone else is going to use those resources. And, you know, you lose your place in line. And I'm just wondering whether, you know, the best advice would be to tell people, number one, to act, and then number two, you know, you just need to, you need cash. You know, if you want to hire the guy with the bulldozer, you know, cash is going to get him. And, uh, you know, I think it might be the right thing to do to convert certain assets or credit cards or whatever, you know, get cash, use that in order to get the work done that you need to be done. If not, you're going to wait weeks or months and it may never happen. So I just want wondered, you know, whether, if you're seeing that advice playing out in this situation. One of the things we have to consider in terms of insurance is that you have to document everything. Before you have contractors coming in, you have to photograph and make sure you account for all the damage so that later on when you settle the claim, you have the evidence because once the evidence is gone, so is the claim, and we have to make sure. And that was one of the things people didn't understand is, what do I have to do? What's the procedures? Some places have all that information already documented, where other, you know, like supermarkets, things like that, have to account for all the materials that they had to throw away, all the food and everything else. We had one, actually, a supermarket that actually went out of business, so they just couldn't cope with the losses. They weren't insured for it, and it was just easier to just close up and say we're done. And this was unfortunate because it was a local business. And we're going to see a lot of that. You know, if we don't have the financial support 
from a major uh, box store or uh, corporation to support dollars to rebuild and restructure these small businesses just don't have those resources. You know, Patty, I, I just wanted to make sure, did you have anything you wanted to add on that? Um, no, I agree. That was one of the things that I kept hearing over and over again is that people are just hesitating. They're, they're not making a decision. I mean, we've been trying to get a, a lot of information out into the media, just telling them, document everything. I mean, with cell phones and the technology today, it's fairly easy to to do a, a photo inventory of rooms within a house. And I think people are just, they're just so overwhelmed that it's almost like they're paralyzed and afraid to make it the wrong decision so they choose not to make any decision at all you know you're both giving great advice here and information and glenn mentioned some other resources for information i know bernie you had actually at least on linkedin and i'm sure in other on other uh, areas had offered free advice for people in the area from someone who's obviously uh, you know 35 years of experience in, in environmental health and safety issues. What was the response to your offer for free advice? Unfortunately, it was very disappointing. We've had only one phone call, and uh, we reached out to so many people and said, look, if you've got questions, we will be here 24-7 to answer those questions to the best of our ability. You know, we're not going to be held to our... Uh, you know, advice, but we, based upon our experience and being involved with similar tragedies, we can give, offer you some advice on what to do and how to how to handle it best. Okay, so if I'm a homeowner in Brighton Beach and I call you, and my home wasn't, you know, wiped out, I still have a, a structure, it still seems to be in pretty good shape, I call you and I say, okay, Bernie, you know, I saw your offer here. What what type of advice would you give me? Would I, I assume you probably have to ask me some questions first, but you know, what are the key points for people to help with their own recovery efforts? And you mentioned well, one before, it, get everything wet out. I know we, we went through that quite a bit. Well, the first question I'm going to be asking, you have heat, you know, electricity, you have the basic needs to stay in the home or business. Without that, you know, it's not habitable and therefore people should leave find some other way of living but if they're able to live in the in the residence and it wasn't severely damaged you know we'll go through it and see exactly what um, has been affected by the storm and give them the best advice based upon the information they give us you know in previous storms where i've been part of any re recovery the biggest one of the biggest mistakes I see people make is, you know, they go in, they tear out all the wet things, they take them outside, you know, whether they do that using the right controls or not is, you know, often questionable, but they get them out. And they're down to studs and, and maybe some, you know, uh, subfloor, they may have pulled that out even. But then the biggest mistake I see is they start putting things back before the structure is dry. And then two months later they start to get the odors and they start to wonder what was wrong do you see that kind of thing occurring after this event yes I, I definitely do and one of the things I've been pushing for is to have a qualified third independent party do an investigation inspection to make sure that the building is dry and that they do some kind of testing 
with air surface testing to evaluate the surfaces based upon their visual inspection. I would think they'd be passing out those little dry ease moisture meters. They should be just handing those out like crazy, Cliff. What do you think? Well, I, I think that they're, you know, as Patty said, I think, number one, the time of the year and, and the part of the country, if there's anything good that can be said about it, it's cool outside and it's not humid. I think the air, you know, the air is pretty dry, so I think, you know, you didn't have a lot of insects, uh, you know, as you had in the south following Katrina. Um, uh, again, I don't know that... I don't know that you need a moisture meter, really. I mean, certainly it would help, and and yeah. But I think a lot of it's really visual inspection. It's really, really common sense, and I think if things were washed down properly and cleaned properly, then the opportunity for you know fungal amplification is is going to be significantly reduced. You know, there are a lot of you know. I think a lot of it depends on the chemistry that you use to clean, but you know, some of the products, you know, have built-in antifungal protection for a week or so afterwards. And if, you know, if, if, if you've, you know, cleaned what needed to be clean and it's exposed to the air and it's not dried in a week, even without the humidification, I think something's wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you're just blowing air in there, Joe, I mean, the air outside's pretty dry this time of year, and I think the stuff, you know, should be relatively dry. I, it should be. I, I think for the most part it will be there's going to be some issues with some of the subfloors and with the the felt papers and etc between the, the between the flooring that can cause people problems but I'm, I'm curious patty what are your contractors doing up in that area with respect to i mean are they just going around and helping people to figure out okay here's what you need to do giving them some free advice on that and if you if you have the resources to bring in our company bring us in or are they just so busy with uh jobs they can't even do that they, they're so busy. Well, like I said, they're really focusing, I think, on a lot of the commercial jobs. They're doing, they're trying to do as many residential as they can because those are important clients and they want to make sure that they, that they service them. I know, um, they are trying, building construction makes a huge difference. The, the school that I went to see, they were telling me that the newer section of the school had more mold and more issues with it than the older section because of the way the school, the, there had been carpeting on the floor, and when the when the contractor um, put the the car, the new tile on, they put the plywood on top of that and the tile on top of that. So, in some of these cases, either for soundproofing or for other issues, the wet, the building construction is making it harder to dry out some of these buildings. And so, a lot of them, it depends on how you know, it depends on how high the water was, what what they have to tear out. Um, if it's only a couple of inches, they don't have to. They may not be doing like. Before the flood cut of four feet, but um, a lot of times they have to remove the floor and then the subfloor to actually really be able to dry the floor out, and then in some cases, if they're soundproofing, like in between the classrooms, that sort of thing, that goes down to several levels, too, so it just takes a little bit longer, and they're just trying to be as thorough as they can about taking out anything that's wet that hasn't dried in time, that, and you know, especially anything that's going to be conducive to mold growth at this point. Joe, I think I can add, you know, something to what Patty said. You know, restoration contractors have limited resources in terms of personnel. So what they're going to do is they're going to delegate 
uh, and this is a way that the property owner can, you know, reduce cost. You know, for instance, school have staff, you know, whether it's teachers or maintenance personnel or even volunteers, you know, and when there's only limited amount of uh, funds, you know, to go around, I don't think you want to pay a restoration company to, you know, to do the muck out. Uh, you know, that's something that can be done, you know, by the you know, homeowners themselves or, you know, by the facility. What you need the uh, restoration contractor to do is, Bernie said, you know, make the inspections, give the guidance, you know, lay out the protocol, uh, you know, be sure that the, you know, recommendations and protocol are followed. I'm curious, Bernie and or Patty, any experience with some of the spray foam applications? I've heard anecdotal that, um, you know, some are holding up better than others. That, uh, you know, that for instance, some of the closed cell is seems to be performing real well, at least in areas where they didn't get completely, you know, uh, overwhelmed with water. Any any anecdotal or any uh, firsthand evidence on those issues, or what special materials are causing problems? I'll yield to Bernie on that one because I didn't see anything yesterday. Okay, Bernie. No, I haven't seen anything like that at all. Okay. I'm just curious, you know, you've got all these new materials out there now, uh, lightweight concretes, you've got the, the different types of foams and, and some of the building papers and house wraps and so on and, and the different new joists that are out, and I'm just curious if uh, you've seen any difference in those things, but uh, understandable that if you haven't. Now, what are, you, what are you expecting to be the next phase here, Bernie? I mean, we've gotten through a lot of the, I mean, obviously we still have structural and uh, infrastructure issues to deal with. What do you see as the next phase as we go through this uh, continuum of recovery? I, I think that um, people have to just make sure that they're getting the right advice about what to do with their particular situation. I think that's really the key uh, whether it be um, from their insurance carrier, uh, from their advisor, you know, the business coaches or whatever they're, they're using to make the best possible decision before they take any action. But uh, I think a lot of the work still needs to con be conducted to remove the wet materials out there, um, the damaged goods the, that are still out there, and uh, just look at the best approach because right now it's so confusing of, of the, the damage from houses that are completely leveled to those that you know have minor damage so we have a, a very vacillating uh, difference between what should be done and what shouldn't be done did either of you notice any special areas or collection points for hazardous materials or you know, asbestos or lead or paints or batteries or anything like that? I passed several areas in New Jersey where it looked like they were not separating out what was going in there. It was just like a community um, drop-off area, and they were just bringing in literally truckloads of debris, and it could be washing machines and refrigerators and other kinds of appliances. It was, I, there was um, wet insulation that was going in there, um, aluminum siding, anything. And it, w it just seemed to be, um, when, I, when I was in um, Nashville after the floods in 2010, they were separating, at all of those collection sites, they were separating everything out. 
so that anything that could be recycled went in one pile. Um, anything that uh, was hazardous materials went somewhere else. And what I saw, um, at least in the one area or in a couple of the areas I was in along the coast in New Jersey, they were just there were just huge collections of trash, and it didn't look like anything was being sorted out at that point in time. And I just watched truck after truck after truck come in and just dump the load and leave to go get more. Bernie, where does all I, this I go? I that in, the, in New York the same way. They're, they're just overwhelmed with the, right. the volume of materials that they're not even considering that at this point. They just need to move it out so they get people to move about into the neighborhoods because the streets are so mm-hmm. congested. Yeah. Yeah. Where does all the, the debris go? Do you, I, I know a lot of you know landfills in the area are probably overwhelmed as well. Are they trucking it out all over the country? In the York area, they have a system whereby they actually put it on barges and they ship it out as being disposed in other locations. Okay, okay. Let's go to the roundup, guys. Hey, Bernie, are you, do you have to run right after this? I've got about, about five minutes left here. Yeah, I do. I have uh, put boots on the ground in New York City. we got a couple of clients now wanting us to map out their water damage so they can talk to the insurance carrier. Great. Well, let's let's uh, go to our roundup. We'll ask one more question of you first, and then we'll continue talking a little with Patty. Are you in a hurry? Yep, I'm, I'm good. Okay, great. I'm okay. Thanks. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up. Move him on, move him on, hit him up. Raw hide. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out, ride him in. Before we, uh, let's, let's get Dr. Wow real quick just to say hi, and then we'll come back to him after we ask Bernie one final question. Hello, Dieter. Do we have you? Well, there is uh, Beethoven again. <laughs> Congratulations to Andy again. It does help if you listen to this show live. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Hey, Dieter, I, I know Bernie's got to run. Do you have a quick question or comment for him? Then well, we'll I have a, certainly a comment. And um, um, he, he, he mentioned that. And I remember, you know, in New Orleans, whenever that was, five, six years ago, I predicted a lot of waterborne diseases, and it didn't happen. Can you imagine 25,000 people were evacuated into the Superdome without running water in the toilet? Yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, you can imagine what happened, and it, it is absolutely incredible. Well, let's, um, throw that, let's throw that over to Bernie real quick, and then we'll come back to you. Any, I think that's a great point. Any health-related issues... So to, the, that you can point out that um, maybe you did or did not expect? Well, one of our concerns was bloodborne pathogens from all the sewage because there were some sewage backups, and that was issue was not being addressed by any of the, uh, the contractors. Um, you know, they're just figuring it was uh, green water or blackish water, and they didn't realize that they may be all mixed with sewage. We had one situation in a... Um, downtown New York City apartment building where the oil tank actually ruptured so they had 20,000 gallons of uh, fuel oil in the basement mixed mm. with water. And is this cough 
uh, is it something you've run into the you know we had the Katrina cough now we've got the Sandy cough I mean is it something that I I've seen varying reports on that hospitals say no they haven't really seen a big uptick and then other people say well yes there has been I I have not heard of anything like that I'm sure people will allege uh, conditions but medically I, I don't see it being an issue okay well, listen, we, we appreciate you joining us. I know you've got to run. Uh, Bernard Fontaine, uh, we really appreciate from the Windsor Group, uh, Windsor Consulting Group, we appreciate having you join us. We're going to continue here with Dr. Wow and Patty Harmon for a couple more minutes, but I know you've got to run, and we just want to say thanks. And before you go, is there anything you'd like to add? Uh, I want to appreciate all your listeners for tuning in today. And if uh, anyone knows that they need advice or appreciate who will be here, uh, our number here is 732-221-5687. I'll be glad to answer any phone calls to, to help anyone in need. Hey, thank you for that, too. We appreciate you joining us and hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you, sir. All right. Let's go back to Dr. Dietrich Wild. Dieter, any other comments on uh, on today's hey, show? Uh, yes, I do. And uh, it's it's kind of interesting. I give away my age, which is fine with me. I grew up during and after the Second World War, in the, and Joe knows that story. And I grew up in a little village. Uh, I mean, the village. I think we had there were thirty or forty houses, something like that. And we didn't have electricity. We didn't have running water. We didn't have gas. Uh, there were no stores, no transportation. If I would have had a bicycle. I would have been a multimillionaire over there. Forget it. it. It didn't. But what am I trying to say? It is amazing how little you need to survive if you know how to do it. Now, a person in New York or New Jersey, they don't have that experience. And I know Joe also. He says, Dieter, I want to live a little bit more with the land and around me and so on. I knew how to pick mushrooms. Uh, uh, I, I, I knew how to pick uh, veggies and all of that. And I knew how to wash them and how to prepare them. The word telephone, are you kidding? The word telephone and television and radio didn't exist because there wasn't one to be seen anywhere. So it is tough for people who grew up now, let's say in the last 20 years or 30 years, and they said, oh my, I have no electricity and I don't have that. What the heck am I going to do now? Yeah. Well, even here where I am near Pittsburgh, it's called Carnegie, I know how to survive over here. First of all, there are a bunch of deer in the backyard, which I'm not allowed to shoot. But if I'm very hungry, I will, no doubt about it. <laughs> I know where a water fountain is. I can pick, uh, get water right away, no doubt about it. I would love to have electricity, but I can live without it. I know how to do that. So that is incredibly, I mean, should we teach that in school? I don't know. Another thing that Bernie mentioned was that respiratory protection, and Joe knows about it, and I know about it, and Cliff knows about it, and Valerie knows about it. It is there. There is no such thing as a comfortable, nice, uh, 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 a respirator or uh, 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 respiratory protection 
it's a pain in the neck to wear one of those, and it's 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 not a hell of a lot of fun. So therefore, people may ignore it, slash, and then they get exposed to things to which they should not be exposed. The other thing is, and that is mind-boggling to me, the volume of debris during that flood, wherever it was, New Jersey, New York, and so on. And put that into perspective. I think there are in round numbers 10 million people in New York. Let's assume that every one of them would like to have one egg for breakfast. That means 10 million eggs. How the heck do you get it in? This is an egg. Now you have 10 million people with a problem called debris and putting it in dumpsters. It is mind-boggling to me of uh, the debris that was over there. And I think I know, I think I should, I think I know the answer to the trivia question. Well, you can go ahead and see if you do, because someone already answered it, but go ahead. Is it fly ash? Yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. Actually, in German, (laughs) I better get that (laughs) right. Hey, Patty, before you go, anything you'd like to add? (laughs) Um, no, I just think that it's going to be a very, it's still going to be a long restoration process. Um, and no matter how much lead time we had in terms of trying to educate residents and that sort of thing, there, and even now afterwards, it's just going to, it's, it's going to take a long time for them to, to come back. And I agree with the assessments. Um, I think I heard that probably about 20% of the businesses that have closed due to the hurricane probably won't reopen. Um, I, I think that um, the best thing that we can do is what you're doing with this show is just try to educate listeners and residents and that sort of thing because they can, there there are some things that they can do. I agree with Dieter. There's a lot to be said for being able to live off the land. We're actually um, raising our our Christmas turkey <laughs> in our backyard, but um, there in in New York City, you know, a lot of those residents residents. Um, I don't think that they were prepared for the scope of the damage and then the aftermath afterwards. I think that we're so used to having electricity and a lot of the conveniences that it's really hard for us to even consider that we're not going to be, you know, that we're not going to have um, Internet access, you know, for four to six weeks. That's just unheard of in today's society. So I think I really applaud all of the, the companies that are there working, I realize that the uh, government, the housing authorities, and, you know, all the FEMA and, and just a lot of the local municipalities, they're working 24 hours a day. I ran into, I mean, I ran into people all in, in my journeys everywhere um, who were just talking about what they had seen and heard and experienced and, and how as, as hard and as fast as they were working, they still didn't feel like they were working hard enough and fast enough. Well, thanks for joining us, Pat. Yep, I raised, I raised chickens and ducks and rabbits myself. <laughs> and, uh, hey, that works, I tell you, it does work. The only thing, the only problem I had when I was a little kid is said one day we had five chickens, and the next day we only had four, and my mother did something to one of those chickens, <laughs> <laughs> and we had a nice dinner. I was a little kid. I couldn't figure that one out, but uh, <laughs> I, I, know what, I know today what happened. <laughs> uh, well, Dieter, thanks for joining us. I want to, before we go, I want to once again thanks uh, 
Thanks to Bernard Fontaine for joining us, and um, he had to go a little early. He's obviously very busy up there. He took time out of his busy schedule. I want to thank the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Thanks again. Joe, Joe, I've got one. I've got one last comment, yeah, please actually. Do. And and you know, Patty, I think it's very important that you know people you know that are affected by this unfortunately get a bunch of information, and a lot of that information is conflicting. And I think one of the things that the Restoration Industry Association has is experience in dealing with this. And you know, the Restoration Industry Association is, you know, the members of that organization have done this before, know what it takes to do it, and that's what I think you need to get out. And I think keep saying it over and over again, you know, we, we, we've been there, done it, this is what you need to do. And, and I think you just need to keep repeating that message, and eventually someone will pick it up. Because, you know, a lot of these people unfortunately go on the Internet, and they get scared about mold, and, and you know, they can't see the forest from the trees, and some people are so close to the bark of the tree, they can't see the tree, you know. And I think someone just needs to tell them what they need to do in, in common sense, practical, simple terms that they're going to understand. That's a great, great point. Uh, Patty, what's the RIA website? It's um, www.restorationindustry.org, and we actually have information for consumers right on our homepage. They can just click on it. That tells them what to do um, after the loss, how to do a photo inventory, what the steps are, what their rights are as homeowners, um, how to deal with the insurance company and some of the other vendors, and how to find a reputable restoration company if they need one. Great. Cliff, as always, a great final comment. Thanks for joining us. Always great to have you here. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week, huh? All right. All right. I also want to thank our engineer, Roxy V. Val, we didn't get a chance to say hi to you much today, but uh, thanks for thanks for handling the controls. Uh, of course, Dr. Dietrich Weil, I want to thank him for joining us. Patty Harmon from the Restoration Industry Association. Glenn Feldman, IE Connections, IAQA, RIA, a man with many hats. Most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners. Thank you all. Come back and join us next Friday for the next episode of... IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production.